Good morning, all. As that song was just being sung, I said, be still, open up your word as you just pray. Thank you, Barry. We're reading today from the first book of the Bible, which is called Genesis, and it's chapter 25, going from 19 to 34. Those people who have their Bibles, I'll let them quickly get their fingers going and pick it up. These are the family records of Isaac, son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took as his wife, Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the Amen, from Padath Aram, the sister of Laban, the Araman. I got that right. You know what I mean. You can read it anyway. Isaac prayed in the prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to her to his prayer, and his wife Rebecca conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each other, and she said, "Why is this happening to me?" So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her. Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time came to give birth, there was indeed twins in her womb. The first one came out red, looking, looking covered with like hair, like a hair like a fur coat and they named him Esau after this his brother came out grasping Esau's heel with his hand it's amazing isn't it so he was named Jacob Isaac was 60 years old when they were born when the boys grew up Esau became an expert hunter an outdoors man but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Mummy's boy. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff. When I read that, I thought to myself, as you going into your, your mother saying, give me some of that red stuff, you would have been wearing it. <laughs> oh, that was my thought anyway. Let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. That is why he was also named Edom. Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, said Esau, I'm about to, do, about to die. So what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave bread and lentil stew to Esau. He ate, drank, got up and went away. So Esau despised his birthright. 
May the Lord bless this reading and uh, pray that the Lord leads our dear friend in understanding what has been said. I don't know that there's any explanation required to uh, describe what red stuff is. But it's an interesting concept. I, I, I had to agree with Colin there. I, I read that and I thought, well, obviously um, Esau didn't have a whole lot of regard for his brother's cooking. <laughs> I'm not too sure, but um, it's an interesting story. But to, uh, to start off this morning, I want to ask you a question. Where in your family... Are you placed? Are you the firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn, or in my case, the lastborn? I was uh, the third of three boys. And of course, I was a delight to my mother. I was. So being born as a firstborn in a family is probably one of the biggest privileges one can ever have, depending on the culture you come from. And certainly in Hebrew culture and in a lot of other cultures um, around the world, every firstborn in the family is valued and regarded as the parent or leader of the family in the absence of the parents. Or certainly in the case of when the father passes away, that firstborn then steps up to become the leader of the family. This is what is called birthright and this is what we're talking about this morning and what that particular uh, reading was for us. Now, typically, that's not something that we do in our culture. And certainly with a multicultural country like ours, it's no doubt varying from household to household because we have so many different nationalities. They would have a different take on this particular thing called birthright. So in our family, for example, like many others, we will our possessions um, to our kids. We think about that sometimes. You... Uh, but this is based on material things, not really anything to do with spiritual. And I think there's a, there's a missing link there sometimes for us. That's another story. So this story from Genesis is probably one of the saddest examples of someone who had absolutely no regard for their birthright. And without going into a whole lot of background and all the rest of it, to come to an understanding of what was going on within this family of Isaac between Jacob and Esau and all of the times leading up to that and the times following, there's a lot involved. And, you know, I read with interest um, as I was exploring more and more about, you know, what to talk about this morning to see, you know, what had happened leading up to this particular point in time, not just within Isaac's family, but with Abraham and, and the line that there was through Isaac and ultimately Jacob, and that's another story as well. It's one thing I love about the Bible. It's like following a rabbit down a hole, isn't it? You don't know where you're going to go sometimes. There's so many different aspects to it. But unfortunately, this for us today is probably one of those saddest examples. From the very beginning of his life, Esau was racing his brother Jacob for favoritism, which is, I guess, a bit of a, a tough gig because... Um, there was, there was the two of them. His mother loved Jacob and his father loved him. And so um, I'm thinking there that there was probably something being set up already to see that there is this uh, clash going on between them. But in Genesis 25, verses 25 and 26, we read this. The first came out red 
all his body like a hairy cloak, as Colin read for us. So they called his name Esau, which literally means hairy. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Jacob means supplanter or heel. <laughs> not very nice, not very nice meanings for your name, I'm sure. But Esau was born first, and even though they were twins, he became legal heir to the family birthright, which included, among other things, being heir to the covenant between God and Abraham as it was being carried and passed down through the generations. This birthright was a link in the line of descent through which the promised Messiah was to come. So that's what I'm saying. This story, you know, we don't look at these things just in isolation because they have a profound effect in time to come. So as the twins grew older, it is said that Isaac favoured Esau because of he was manly. He was a hunter. He would go out and, and catch different sorts of game, which Isaac apparently, which we read, uh, was really keen on. He liked to have the, you know, the food that was caught by Esau. But Rebekah favoured Jacob because of his gentleness. Now, I can only imagine that Isaac and Rebekah's choices spurred on the rivalry between these two brothers. Do we play favourites with our kids? Well, I know there are times when we would think about it. Um, you know, our kids are not doing the kinds of things we would like and all that kind of stuff. And so sometimes we might be led to favour one more than the other. But we can't, can we? But let's have a look at this narrative a little bit closer. Esau was loved by his father, was a skillful hunter. That we've, we've learnt. It was because of his skill that Isaac loved the game that he caught and therefore uh, he held him in more regard than he did his son um, Jacob. And we read that in verse 28. But later in Genesis though, we read that uh, Esau rising to the occasion in showing kindness to his brother, even though Jacob manipulated him twice. First with a bowl of stew and second when in collaboration with his mother Rebecca, Jacob tricked his father into passing the inheritance that was due him onto Jacob. Now that was a pretty bad thing to do but it's part of a story and I'm going to digress a little bit now. We go back to the first part of the reading that Colin brought to us. Remember the word said that Rebecca was pregnant and she had these two children in her womb and they were constantly struggling uh, you know I guess when you have twins that could happen but when she inquired of the Lord why is this happening to me how often have we heard that expression why is this happening to me what do the Lord say there are two nations at war within you now I don't know about you but I thought about this and I think to myself if Mill had and Mill's my wife for those who don't know yeah I'm pretty sure you all do if, if we'd have had that similar kind of situation going on when, when our boy, I mean, we didn't have twins, but let's say we did, and she inquired of the Lord and the Lord told her that's what it was, I would have been freaking out. I mean, seriously, being told that you have two children, twins, who are at war even as, you know, what do you call them? Who? Yeah, those things, little ones in the womb. They're at war even there before they've even been birthed. But then to be told that they will continue in that way and essentially separate and start two, two separate nations. Now, if you could see God's blessing, 
then you could say, well, okay, this is the word of the Lord. This is going to be meant for good long term. That would have been a pretty tough call, a pretty tough thing to, to be able to respond to back then, I think, personally. So we read um, about this particular story in Genesis where we read uh, about Esau, about him eventually rising to the occasion and helping his brother Jacob, even though Jacob had manipulated him and his mother. So this morning I just want to touch on this incident of Esau selling his birthright and see what sort of insights we can gain uh, and, and applications there might be for our lives. So let's read that uh, strict scripture again. Isaac, we got it up there, yep. Can you read that? Good. So Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord was receptive to his prayer and his wife Rebecca conceived. But the children inside her struggled with each, with each other. And she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will come from you and be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the boys grew up, Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman, but Jacob was a quiet man who stayed at home. Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for wild game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field exhausted. He said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stuff because I'm exhausted. And that is why he's also called Edom. So Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. That's a pretty interesting response, isn't it? Right? His brother has come in and asked him for food. And what does he say to him? Sell me your birthright. Why, that's just out of left field. But then when you read the story, we know the story. All this was happening because they were already plotting and there's a whole lot around Jacob wanting to run ahead of God all the time and so this kind of stuff was, became fairly common for him. Look, said Esau, I'm about to die, so what good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me first. So he swore to Jacob and sold his birthright to him. Then Jacob gave him lentil stew and bread and he ate, drank, got up and went away. Sorry. Did it move that down a bit, Ian? No. So we got up and went away. As casual as you like. He came in, I'm dying, I'm dying. Give me something to eat. Yes, you could have my birthright. Yes, yes. Got up and walked away. No care at all. So let's make some observations from this. First, there was a physical advantage to the birthright. The birthright was a double portion of the family inheritance plus more. The amount would have been very large depending on the family and in the case of Isaac, it was substantial. In fact, we know that uh, what Esau eventually received was great according to later on in Genesis in chapter 36, which records that the family, livestock and property of both brothers was so great that the land could not support them both and what happened? Esau had to move away to another area, separating of the family. More importantly, there was a spiritual advantage to the birthright. So not just a physical, but there was also a, phys a spiritual advantage to the birthright. Firstly, Esau would have become the patriarch and priest of the home after his father's death. 
Now that's really, really important and strategic, huge thing. Secondly, he would have been a chief of the family, an heir to the promise of blessing. Thirdly, he would have been able to invoke the blessing of Abraham regarding the threefold promise. Now what's all that about? Genesis 12, 1 to 3. The Lord said to Abram, go from your land, your relatives and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse anyone who treats you with contempt and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So the birthright was not just a trivial moment passed down from generation to generation but had significant physical and spiritual blessing that was connected to it. Now our text tells us that unfortunately Esau despised his birthright. Now that is serious. He despised, in other words, he counted his birthright as being of nothing, of having no value. Now that means that having no regard to it means he had a very flippant attitude towards it by the sound of it. Now, did he think that Jacob was kidding? Was it some kind of practical joke that his twin brother would ask such a thing? Why did he have to such sorry, why did he have such little regard for it? Did he think that his birthright was secure no matter what he did? That's an important thing to remember. Did he think that his birthright was so secure that he could do nothing to get rid of it. There was no matter what he did. I think that Esau probably should have realised something was up when he knew that his Jacob's name meant supplanter or follower behind, which are different versions uh, depending on the language. So anyway, we are told that Esau comes in and is famished from a long day of hunting, but he has no reward of the game. So Jacob says, Esau, brother of mine, firstborn of my father and holder of what I want, let's make a deal. Well, that's my paraphrase, of course. But what happens? Esau chose physical over the spiritual. He chose the now over the promise. He gave in to the cravings of his hunger. He valued the stew, a meal, more highly than his birthright. And for that reason, he was called a godless person. Again, pretty serious kind of things to think about. Hebrews 12, 16 and 17, and make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance so there's ramifications for what he did over a single meal it would have eternal ramifications as a result Esau chose the present over the future he tossed away future reward for present gratification and don't forget he and his brother would have been raised as people of the promise they would have known that what it was to have fellowship with God and known that there was a divine future for them. You know, Jesus was tempted to do the same, wasn't he? In the desert by Satan, he was hungry and the devil said to him, you can turn these stones into bread. And Jesus could have fulfilled his physical desire for food, but 
in an instant he would have lost and forfeited his future glory. Esau succumbed to his flesh and forfeited his future. In a fraction of a moment, literally almost like that, tummy was filled but a promise was lost. Esau made a deal and it was a bad one. Okay, so that's the story of Jacob and Esau. That's the story of Esau selling his birthright uh, to Jacob for the purpose of of having a a meal. Now let's talk about it um, as Christians. What's our birthright as a Christian? Well, there is a physical inheritance. Now obviously that hasn't got anything to do with having a good body. What are you all laughing for? It has to do with a lot more important things than that. God is the God who heals, protects, delivers, saves, anoints, upholds, walks beside us, as we are told in Philippians 4.19. And my God, you know it, tell me, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So that's that's the physical side of it. But the spiritual inheritance is one which is even more important. Firstly, can you see it up there? What are we? I am an heir according to the promise made to Abraham. Romans 8, 16 and 17. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. There's the first promise. The second one, I am saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For you are saved by grace through faith and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. And the third one is, I have an incorruptible inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Wow. Did you get that? I'm an heir according to the promise. I'm saved by grace. I have an incorruptible inheritance. That's ours. That's our spiritual inheritance and our birthright as Christians. So as a result of this, what am I going to do? I'm going to walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. I will live in the promise of my inheritance and not in the presence of my life. You know, our lives are always full of some kind of struggle. The enemy is always tempting us to act upon our flesh just like Esau's desire for food and it caused him to make a rash decision that changed his life. You and I, we must determine every day that we will walk in the blessing and provision of our birthright given to us through our adoption into the family of God through the blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. That's where it happened. But we also need to heed the words of the Apostle Paul when he says in 2 Corinthians Working together with him, we also appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, at an acceptable time, I listened to you. And in the day of salvation, 
I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So even though Jacob had been appointed by God to receive his promises and carry on the line of Abraham, he acts selfishly though. So we are talking about Jacob because he was actually the chosen one out of the two, right? He runs ahead of God to secure the birthright, manipulating Esau uh, on those a couple of occasions. This trait follows Jacob throughout his life. He sometimes schemed, connived and deceived to secure the best in life which God had promised him anyway, right? This was, he was still living under that promise, but he decided to go out and do his own thing with it instead of waiting on God to provide. He had a way of trying to help God out, so to speak, from time to time. But as he aged, he was eventually forced to grow, mature, trust, and rely completely and totally on God. Well, there's a lesson for us just there, isn't there? So let me ask you this question. How often do you miss God's blessings or get yourself in a bind when you try to help God out? I know I've tried it. Usually I've mucked it up. But how do we learn to fully rely on God and trust in his plan? But more importantly, are we missing the value of our inheritance and birthright given to us by God and trust in that plan? We are reminded in the New Testament that we are children of God. Why is that? So that we can be glorified the same way Jesus was. Jesus was nothing like Esau. He didn't despise his birthright, nor the responsibilities that came with it, including dying on the cross. We have the ability to become co-heirs with Christ. So what value have you placed on your birthright an inheritance promised by God? It was too late for Esau. He had already made his decisions and even though he cried out to his father, there was nothing that could be done. He despised his birthright, counted it as nothing and there was no going back. Don't miss the value of your inheritance and birthright given to you by God. Today, if you are not a co-heir with Christ, you can be. We need to be aware that the time will come when it is too late. No matter how many tears we may shed, no matter what we might try and do, the consequences of our choices we make may be irreversible. After Esau lost the blessing to Jacob, he sought to get it back, but it was too late. We already read part of Hebrews, but I'll just read for you again. Hebrews 12, 14 to 17. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or godless person like Esau, excuse me, who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. The writer reminds the Hebrew Christians about the eventual remorse of Esau. He was sorry for what he allowed to slip away. He looked for a way to undo it, but he couldn't. Do you know the value 
of what you have from God. Don't abandon it. We're at the beginning of a new year. Barry reminded us of that uh, in his opening remarks about us going into a new year. And I think it's a, a great opportunity for us to rededicate our lives to Jesus and pursue him this year in all that we do. And if you don't know Jesus, and I'm talking now to the folks at home as well, anybody watching on live stream, please include yourself in, in this next section that I'm going to uh, go through. But if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, then today is the day to set that right. Could we all please stand together? And if we could all please just bow our heads. And I'm going to pray two prayers. The first prayer is going to be a prayer of rededication. And that prayer, if you would like to pray it for yourselves, it's up on the screen. Um, I would be more than happy for you to do it and we can pray through that together. And then the second prayer is going to be a prayer for anyone who wants to give their life to Jesus. Now, look, I'm not questioning anybody's you know, salvation here, anything like that. You know where you stand with God. But sometimes we aren't even sure whether we've made that kind of decision. Well, here's your opportunity this morning. But if you're unsure about that, here is your opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. But the first one we're going to read, we're going to pray together is this one. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I choose this day to rededicate my life to you. I commit my heart, my mind, my words, my actions, everything I have and everything that I am to you. I purposely draw close to you and I thank you that you draw close to me. In Jesus' name, amen. And now with every eye closed, um, there is an opportunity for those who don't know Jesus as Lord to give their life to him. Now, if that's you, then a prayer of confession is going to be also put up on the wall behind me. Um, and I would encourage you, I'm going to pray it. And if you would like to pray that just silently, if you're not too sure about speaking out loud, put your hand up um, and you know, then elders that are here can see who you are as well. But this is a really solemn occasion because this is the point at which we choose to ensure that we have an eternal birthright as Christians. So if you are in that position where you aren't sure whether you are a Christian, whether you've given your heart to the Lord, or if you, you feel that the tug of the Holy Spirit in your life this morning, then now's the time for you to respond to the call of Jesus in your life. So let's pray this prayer together, if that's you. If you want to pray it quietly to yourself, that's okay. But let us know afterwards. Contact myself, Barry, uh, Lynn, uh, Alan's not here, so just the three of us as elders, uh, please, please see us afterwards. So for those people, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in prayer asking you to forgive me of all my sins. I confess with my mouth and believe with my heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died on the cross of Calvary, that I might be forgiven and have eternal life in the kingdom of heaven. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead and I ask you right now to come into my life and be my Lord and my personal Saviour. I repent of all my sins and will worship you all the days of my life. I confess with my mouth that I am born again and cleansed by the blood of Jesus. I ask you to send the Holy Spirit into my life to fill me and help me to walk faithfully 
and become the person that you created me to be. Father, thank you for forgiving me of all my sins and for saving my life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you. You can please be seated. Now, if that was you or if you uh, would like prayer, I think we can maybe do that this morning. If anybody would like prayer, uh, maybe meet with uh, elders or anybody from the prayer team that would be available. Uh, come and meet over here. But if that was you who just made that decision this morning, please let us know. Uh, we'd love to be able to pray with you uh, and help you in your next. God bless you. Have a great day.